Hi, and welcome to No Crying in Baseball, episode 110, the major rant about the minor leagues episode. My name's Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth. Hey, how's it going? It's good. Hey, you were out and about and meet people. Yeah, we went to we went to a show the other night, me and Mr. Potty Mouth, and the show had nothing to do with baseball, but so it was um, John Leguizamo's uh, history of wait Latin history for morons. Yeah, so I'm a little and less. You were there for be, the <laughs> for, for becoming less moronic, okay. and that was like his total intro was like after this you will be a little bit less stupid, and hopefully, hopefully I am. I feel a little mixed about the show, but that's for another podcast. But afterwards, um, there was a book signing. So we're waiting in line uh, because we got the book, and I figured while we're here, and I look over from a distance, and I notice he's wearing a Mets cap, and this is in D.C., and I was like, oh, dude, that's, ballsy. that's really, like, crazy. So by the time we got up there, and we were always kind of at the end of the line, I just turned to him and said, are you getting a lot of shit tonight for the Mets cap? And he said, yeah, and I said, well, honestly, and this is honest, I think I said this on the podcast before, I'm almost kind of pulling for the Mets this year. Because of Carlos Beltran as manager. Mm -hmm. And that would be this really cool back-to-back-to-back Puerto Rican manager. So I said to John Leguizamo that I'm pulling for the Mets for one reason. And he said, oh, is it Pete Alonso? No, that would be why I I would pull for the Mets. Right. I was like, (laughs) I've got to get you to listen to this podcast. No, it's Carlos Beltran. And then he said, oh, yeah, it's back-to-back-to-back. And I was like, that's what I was about to say. You should do a Latin history of baseball for your next show. And he looked like he was taking it seriously. So I wanted to talk about it here so that we have it recorded as evidence that if John Leguizamo in a couple years has a Latin history for morons of baseball or baseball morons, Latin baseball moron history, I don't know. If (laughs) if that comes out, (laughs) I get credit for the idea. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that. Okay, we're going to make sure those words are in the right order. So I, I am not the teacher here, but I am going to assign a little bit of homework. We don't have time today to talk about the Astros because not a whole lot new has happened in the investigation of stealing signs, but there's some background reading that you might think is kind of cool. Both 538 and The Ringer did background pieces on how effective was the sign stealing, and they came up with different answers. So check out those two sites, 538 and The Ringer, for your background homework. Extra credit. Yeah, I want to know if cheating pays. That's the question, right? That is the question. Okay. And depend. the answer is, it depends on which website you read. On today's show, we bestow honorary boyfriend status on Gerardo Parra as he goes off to Japan. We talk about the Rule 5 draft, the 40-man roster, and the curious case of Jacoby Ellsbury. We have a major league grant over minor league ball, the plan, in which we men- mention both Chuck Schumer and Bernie Sanders because baseball and politics aren't that far apart. Women in baseball, some are getting hired and we're here for that. Some are going with Justine Siegel to, to Mexico with baseball for all and the Women's World Cup is coming up. We're going to do another stats lesson, this time OBP and OPS, and we're going to finish this up with a little Winter League baseball. That sounded like a lot. We're gonna, we're gonna do all that right now. Here we go. Here we go. Yes. We're gonna do all that right now. First of all, we so we usually start off talking about our boyfriends because that's our stick. We each pick a guy per team starting next week. Dear listeners, tune in. We're gonna pick our new boyfriends and we pick them for reasons beyond the field because they're cool about something. And then we follow him throughout the season. And neither one of us picked Gerardo Parra because he wasn't really on the radar last year. And actually, if we had picked him, we would have been screwed because he moved from the Giants to the Nationals, but 
he uh, he he captured our hearts. I would say he did indeed. Our hearts and the hearts of you know the thirty five thousand people at any given time in Nats Park. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody who can make Baby Shark a phenomenon is an absolute hero because before them, him, people were just annoyed as shit by it. Are you saying, for instance, Patty? Yeah. Yeah. I think he won, me, he won me over, right? <laughs> I think it took a lot of people a moment. So I think we're all collectively mourning like the end of this party, party that was the Baby Shark phenomenon. So the party's over. Yeah. He's going to Japan. He's very big in Japan. Yeah, well, he's going to be very big. He's going to be on the Giants, the Yomiuri <laughs> Giants. And uh, and I just want to just take a minute to remember the good times with him. I mean, the baby shark hysteria. But I had forgotten that his first hit with the Nationals was a grand slam against the Dodgers. Hey, Padres friends, how do you think of that? That that That's a pretty amazing way to, to, to make your first mark on the team. Welcome, welcome to the Nationals. Welcome. So that was when he first got here in the beginning of May, but then he had a little bit of slump and to take him out of the slump was when he started this baby shark thing. And it's because his two-year-old listens to baby shark and he thought, hey, might as well try it. But you know, the baby shark, baby shark debut day, he threw Harper half Hapa out at third base. Hapa, Hapa out he at third. Did. So he was respectable. He hit 250, but I think the, the the basic thing about it was the spirit that he brought to the Nationals. He brought the dancing to the dugout, the home yeah. run celebration dance party the to the hugs, dugout. The, the hugs. sunglasses. Yeah. So much good. So we will miss you, Gerardo. I'm hoping that the clubhouse vibe continues without him. That would be his mm-hmm. legacy here. Wow, what a segue from that to the world's the words rule five draft, which couldn't sound more boring. But let me tell you, you, you may have been hearing about them this week because this past Wednesday was the deadline for teams to finalize who's going to be on their 40-man roster. They did not have to fill out the 40-man roster completely, but they had, had to identify which guys they were going to protect from this rule five draft. If they're on the 40-man roster, they mean they, they it means they go to spring training. And it means they're available to be called up to the bigs. Mm-hmm. You have to be on the 40-man roster to get called up to the 25-man roster. Was it next year that's going to be 26? It's pretty soon. It's going to be 26-man roster, but you got to be on the 40-man roster first. So teams had to make room. Some of the teams had to let some veterans go. Some of them had to go. They were DFA'd. Some were traded. You could be outright released. Sometimes these are guys with injury problems. More about that very specifically in just a minute. So the people who are not on the 40-man roster who are either um, players who were signed at age 18 and have been in the minors for five years, who played professionally for five years, or signed at 19 and played professionally for four years. So they've been there for a while. These are not the brand new prospects. These are players who have been there for a while. If they're not on the 40-man roster, they are available to be drafted by another team. This draft takes place place this year is December 12th. It's the last day of the winter meetings. And the way it works is teams that don't have their 40-man roster completely filled out, they've got some room, can take turns drafting these guys who are not protected by being on someone else's 40-man roster. And they start from the bottom and at the bottom of the standings. Kind of kind of like we do with our baseball boyfriends. Exactly we start from the bottom. Exactly like that. And they work their way up. The, the, the catch is if you take one of these guys, you have to put them on your 25-man roster. 
not your 40, not just your 40 so man roster. They've got to be worth grabbing. Yeah. So they have to be in the okay. majors and they have to stay there. If you want to bounce them back to the minors, you have to work something out like a trade or some other way to get the full rights to this guy. Otherwise he's on your 25 man roster for the foreseeable future. So this affected somebody um, formerly near and dear to your heart. Yeah, this was my first T-shirt that went to Value Village. And it was my Ellsbury Red Sox T-shirt, number two. It was I, a jersey. It wasn't a full-on jersey. No, it, it was a T-shirt. A t-shirt. Oh, it was, but it, did, okay. it said Ellsbury on the back. And yeah, it, it was my prized possession because he was one of my early pre-NCIB baseball boyfriends. Like that, This was a guy who I was crushed when in 2013, after winning his second World Series with the Red Sox got picked up by the Yankees for a boatload of money. And at that point, I remember thinking, you know, fucking sellout, like he's just taking the big bucks and maybe the Red Sox would have come up with something comparable. But I'm wondering if the Red Sox were on to something because he was pretty injury prone, even amidst admit his amazing success with the Red Sox. And then when he went to the Yankees, Just the shit absolutely hit the fan. So he uh, missed a total of 456 games in his seven year. Well, and and there's another year to go. So he was on a seven year contract. Out of those, he's missed 456 games and made, where's that number, 520. So he missed almost as many as he made. That's like two and a half years of not playing. Yeah, it it was. It was because he totally missed 18 and 19. So he hasn't played in over two years. So I think like the cutting the bait now, like he hasn't played in two years. He was totally injury prone. So the Yankees released him on the 20th with $26 million left in his contract. It was a seven-year, $153 million contract. So there's this chunk left, which you would think the Yankees would be responsible for because that's what happens, right? You release a guy, he's not done with his contract, you still have to pay him. Unless somebody else picks him up. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, he hasn't played in two years. No one's and all that. It, it's, it's looking pretty ugly. Um, but the Yankees are now trying to get out of it, which I think is the fascinating part because they're saying that he had a breach of contract because he went to outside medical treatment without permission. So he saw a non-Yankees approved doctor and because of that, maybe they don't have to pay him $26 million. Of course, this is right now being contested. It's do up we in know the air. how long ago they're saying he went to see this doctor? Was like, did he just do it? And they went, oh, screw this, you're out. I, I th- I'm pretty sure it was within the past couple of years because it was the 1819 oh, well. season that those are the two years that he was totally out. So it was definitely during that time. But they didn't do anything about it at that time. That's interesting. That's that's what I'm asking, right? When did they find out about it? Because they they released him, and then two days later, they announced that they weren't going to pay him for it. So they told his agent, who is of course Scott Boris and the Major League Baseball Players Association. And there you have it. I, I I feel mixed about it because I was so pissed off when the Yankees got him and I gave away my shirt. But he really didn't do that well with the Yankees. I thought that the he most fascinating, pretty fast, didn't he? Yeah, and the most fascinating thing about all his highlights is that he was the player with the most bases awarded due to catcher's interference. Like, how can that be at all attributable to the batter? I don't right, get that, it. What that is is usually when the 
bat hits the catcher's glove. Mm -hmm. So usually it's the catcher like leaning in too far to like go for the ball or something. And that's why that happens. Or maybe he's just really good at, that's just kind of a little bit sleazy. I mean, he was known definitely for getting on base any way possible and then moving. He was super fast. He had the the league record in in steals one year. And, um, and actually he stole five bases in one game with the Red Sox, which was a team record. And my, actually my highlight, this is me doing like Ellsbury flashbacks. My highlight moment was when he stole home on the Yankees on Andy Pettit. And it was just a clean steal, just like frozen in his track. So yeah, there were some good moments. I mean, he was, he came in second in MVP votes in, in 2011 and was an all-star that year. So he, he earned his cred, but then not with the Yankees. And, and now look where he is. You dropped him about as fast as the Red Sox I, did at the time and about as potato. fast as the Yankees are doing now, cutting all the ties. They basically took his contract to Value Village. There, there you go. Yeah, the contract should be written on my shirt. All right. So <laughs> sorry. Bye, Ellsbury. We'll see what happens. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I'm livid. I am livid. Let's go. Let's go. I'm ready for this. A few weeks ago, we mentioned that there was a major league plan, a proposal, a proposal, if you will, to address some of the problems that are noted in the minor league, like poor pay, poor conditions in the ballparks and a terrible travel situation. Right. So, yay, Major League Baseball is going to help fix that. Well, screw (laughs) them. They're not trying to fix it. They are saying they're trying to fix it, but really they're screwing them. They're screwing cities and towns all over the country and a bunch of ball players and a bunch of stadium employees, umpires, all kinds of people. And I'm ticked. Is this a, a anti-capitalist rant that we're about to go on? Because that's what it sounds like. They're just sort of cutting, that, cutting would, expenses and consolidating would this, would this surprise and, anyone if it were? Because oh, we're talking we about Major League Baseball here. Okay, so what was a proposal is now a plan, a plan to improve conditions increase wellness and pay. What they're doing, however, is cutting 42 teams, 42 teams in the minor leagues. So they're they're going to do this. This is a, a, a plan that's going to happen. There's a lot of pushback right now, but they're saying they're going to do it. But we'll get I to the pushback. I can't even imagine. They're talking about moving the draft from June to August and implementing what they're calling the Houston plan. And by Houston, they mean Astros, which is number 432 to currently put the Astros on your shit list. What? What the Astros say is that what they say, they say are is whatever. What the yeah. Astros are saying is you don't need to play for a couple months that first summer in the minor leagues. You should go to a team facility and be evaluated. We should be able to run the analytics and look at your swing and look at your strength and spend time not actually playing the game of baseball, but analyzing everything about you before you are really part of our organization. Fuck, this sounds like it's what's happening to education. It's like data-driven and then forgetting like the human element. Oh, this is terrifying. Bingo, it's the Houston plan. Capital H, capital P, Houston plan. And limiting the number of players an organization can have on the payroll to 150, which for some organizations might not be much of a cutback. For the aforementioned Yankees, they have like nine levels of minor leagues. They have to cut back a whole bunch, for instance. So- That was all theoretical. Now it's real. It's real because now the plan is out there in the world. The New York Times last week um, leaked the list of the 42 teams that are on the chopping block. And as soon as that becomes real, as soon as you can put team names on that list, those cities, those governors, those congressmen, all sorts of people are getting ticked about how it's going to hurt the people at home. 
right? So 103 members of Congress, bipartisan. Look, baseball, bringing the country together (laughs) right here or now. 103 members of Congress sent a letter to Major League Baseball opposing the plan. And I'm going to read you a quote from the letter. The abandonment was a threat. Oh, watch for the, raise your hand when you hear the threat in this this quote, okay? Okay, y'all, we will be able to see me raising my hand. All right. The Mm -hmm. abandonment of minor league clubs by Major League Baseball would devastate our communities, their bond purchasers, and other stakeholders affected by the potential loss of these clubs. We want you to fully understand the impact this could have not only on the communities we represent, but also on the long-term support that Congress has always afforded our national pastime on a wide variety of legislative initiatives. Potty Mouth is raising her hand and waving. There it is. There's the threat. Interestingly, Congress are the people who brought you the 1998 Curt Flood Act, which exempts minor league baseball from antitrust protection. Major league baseball has protections. Minor league baseball pay and conditions can be suppressed because of Congress. And Congress is starting to say, huh, what about that? For instance, Chuck Schumer was just speaking from the land of the Rumble Ponies, Binghamton, New York, you know, condemning this plan saying maybe he'll bring that back into discussion if this plan goes through. Some more threats. You know, this has even entered the presidential race and the other side of the congressional building with uh, Bernie Sanders, senator from Vermont. The the cool thing about this is that he retweeted Sean Doolittle. Like how how excited must Doolittle have been for this and said and, and Doolittle, of course, was was criticizing this. And he said, Sean is absolutely right. Like they're buddies. I love to think of that. Can you, yeah, can first you picture basis, it? Right? Bernie and Sean hanging? I can totally picture it. Sean is absolutely right. Closing down minor league teams like the Vermont Lake Monsters, and Great what name. a cool name yep. is that, would be a disaster for baseball fans, workers, and communities across the country. We must protect these teams from corporate greed. So there, there's the capitalist. Sure there. enough. Sure enough. The, in addition to the congressional and Sean Doolittle pushback, right, there's also going to be lawsuits Definitely lawsuits from the cities and the states where taxpayers have funded new ballparks for their minor league teams, brand new parks or refurbishing the parks. Who pays for that? The taxpayers. So a lot of places have gotten this funding in place because they assumed by contract, really, that they were going to have a minor league team there. What the hell? We're putting millions of dollars into this building and you're saying we're not going to have a team or we're going to have one of these dream league teams that we've got to pay for ourselves and we can't afford to have? I don't think so. You're going to court. And that's a big deal for a community to sort of reform uh, around this potential money-making establishment that's, that's coming up there. It's pretty horrifying. So, you know, there's all the unemployment that's going to come to these communities. There is the loss of this community building activity. And MLB says it wants to grow the game. You're taking the game away from a lot of people in a lot of places that don't have major league ball. This is how they get in. This is how they learn to love baseball. They go to minor league games. Not to mention it's a lot cheaper. Like just the cost right. of bringing your whole family to a minor league game. And the minor league games have so much family-friendly stuff. There's just activities and and cool run the bases. Yeah. And Major League Baseball is talking about this as a way to be able to afford to pay the players more and to upgrade um, you know, conditions. Like one of the things that I do agree with is that a lot of minor league affiliates are very far away from their, you know, their their major league, you know, organization. And so, but 
that stuff can be fixed without closing. That's 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 rearranging. That's, that's replanning. redistricting. It's this, re- is, this totally connects to education. We're going that's through this redistricting thing. But as far as saving money, the the numbers have been run, and some published numbers say that the cost saving to Major League Baseball, if this whole thing goes through, is only about. $20 million. And, you know, I say only not because I could afford that, but because that's less than one fifth of 1% of what Major League Ball grossed in 2019. That is a Crazy. drop in the bucket. Also, whoever came up with this plan was looking at a map and not looking at reality because one of the teams that's being cut because of the condition of its facilities is the team in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, home of the Little League World Series. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't you just drive through there this summer? I drove like- th- drive through there regularly. And you know what? During the Little League World Series, that very ballpark hosts a major league ball game. And they did a year before and they're going to do it again next right. year. But it's not good enough. It was okay for that major league team to those two major league teams to play there. Also, another team that's near and dear to my heart, the Tri City Valley Cats. They play um, outside the, the Troy Schenectady Albany. Are the Tri Cities involved there? So I go see those games every once in a while. They're a short season rookie league, which means they only play during the summer months. So in this plan, they're cut, but another team would move in. A, a single A team would move in. Single A is longer than short season, which. Okay, that's fine, except for the Tri-City Valley Cats play at a community college ballpark. That ballpark is probably going to be in use during the school year, don't you think? How's that going to work for you? It seems like this was not thought through. And hopefully by you bringing this to light, especially now, they will just say, you know, this was a shit idea. We're just going to scrap it all. If Patty and the Potty Mouth don't like it, why do it? Why do it? Exactly. There's some stuff we can get behind this week, though. Oh, let's throw support at something great. We have some women being hired. And this is a fantastic thing. And then I I sort of took a moment when I was thinking about talking about this today and thought, you know, people are being hired all the time. It's, It's a little bit frustrating that we have to be like, oh, check it out three women were hired this week like but you know hopefully we'll get to the day where this is not a big deal and we can just talk about whoever's being hired and you know what pointing it out also identifies that it is an issue Mm -hmm. and more people are aware of it so keep on doing it here we go who got hired so we have a couple of women being hired with with player operations so working with the players which i think is is a little bit more monumental sounding in the grand scheme of things we have and shit i don't know how to pronounce her name do you rachel balkovich of it. One of those things is probably true. All right. I am so sorry. I know her. We're going to tw- go with Rachel B. <laughs> and, and we'll go with with her Twitter handle is damsel in the dugout. Nice. And she got hired as a Yankees minor league hitting coach. And she was the first female to be hired full time as a hitting coach. Actually, Justine Siegel had been a coach with the A's and and Rachel tweeted at Justine saying, basically, you paved the way, which is oh, nice. absolutely yeah. really, really sweet. But she's been uh, so this is Rachel B has been a strength and conditioning coach for a long time with the Cardinals from 2012 to 14. And then she was actually their strength and con- conditioning coordinator, 14 to 15. And then she worked with the Astros in Latin America for two years and then the Astros in AAA. And I'll, I got to say, ch- check out her Twitter feed because what's that weights move that she did? I, I should have looked that up. It was like a... She's very strong. Yeah. She lifted a really big bar with a lot of weight on it up. She did, and it did yep. not fall back down on and her. And she looked really strong doing it. I'm going to so tell you, is- 
tough. She is tough. I'll tell you a few more things about Rachel Beeks. Um, There's a nice New York Times profile on her and she sounds super cool. When she was with the Astros in 2016, she was the Latin American Strength and Conditioning Coordinator. And while she was doing that, she taught herself Spanish because it's the right thing to do. Awesome. The second important thing about that stint was that's when she started working with Dylan Lawson, who's now the Yankees hitting coordinator. He was a minor league hitting coach for the Astros. Now that's where they met and he was instrumental in bringing her on because he knows what a great coach she is. Um, she has this great resume, but she wasn't getting callbacks with this great resume. So she mm. made the choice to change her name on the resume from Rachel to a shortened version of Ray as the first name. And the phone started ringing. People uh, still said, oh, rough. when they found out right. that she was not a man. But she, basically, she got to call him on it then a little bit. She got her second master's in the Netherlands in 2018. While she was busy doing that, she was also the assistant hitting coach for the Netherlands national baseball and softball teams. So her resume is wide and deep. And since then, she's been working at driveline training in the state of Washington, which you know a lot from the analytics. You hear a lot about it from pitching. She was researching eye tracking for hitters. So she's got kind of a sciencey background to uh-huh. which she's bringing in this, this into their, her hitting coach stuff. So she's got an incredible resume, whether it says Rachel or it says Ray at the top. And and that was news for a hot minute. And then there was another Rachel who hit the news who also seems to be a really analytic data kind of person. And that's Rachel Folden at Folden Fast Pitch on Twitter. And she got hired to be a Cubs rookie league coach and lead hitting lab tech, whatever that means. But she's doing hitting coaching as well. So I don't know if it counts as a hitting coach or if it's coaching with hitting, but she's had her own company called Folden Fast Pitch, which has been doing baseball and softball instruction since 2010. And she herself played for five years in National Pro Fast Pitch. Um, but I think it's that that analytical bent that's really given these people with with talent a little bit of an in and marketability. I don't know. Attractiveness to the organization. And once we're done with the Rachels, there's still one more woman who's just been hired. And, right. And she's like local here. girl made good. Yeah. So this is the really cool thing. We are in Montgomery County, Maryland, right on the edge of Washington, D.C. And Eve Rosenbaum just got hired as the Orioles Director of Baseball Development, which is a front office hire. And I guess it's the highest front office position that a woman has right now in the Orioles organization. Um, she has experience including analytics and scouting. And she worked for five years with the Astros and the GM from the, well, I don't know what he was with the Astros, but the new GM from the Orioles came from the Astros. And it seems like she sort of followed with him. But the the super local news is that she graduated from Walt Whitman High School in Bethesda, which is like a stone's throw from here in 2008. Or a fast pitch from here. There, there you go. Definitely a fast pitch. And she went to Harvard and she played catcher on the Harvard, Harvard Havid softball team. Being from Boston, it's hard not to say Havid. But yeah, local girl. And I'm, here I'm she here is. for this. I, I like to hear women getting into into baseball and all different kinds of levels. And wait, there are more women in baseball news things this week, including the aforementioned Justine Siegel is in Mexico right now as I'm speaking, doing the Mujeres en Diamante, Women on the Diamond, second year 
of doing baseball clinics with young women and girls in Mexico. And it sounds like a pretty good deal, really. It's a very nice time to be in Mexico. She's going to two places, Hermosillo and Mazatlan. And she was invited by the U.S. General Consulate in Hermosillo and the baseball teams there. And this is the cool thing. So she's doing a clinic with girls in each of those places, but she's also guest coaching with the Mexican team on their their playing date. So she's coaching with the Naranjeros de Hermosillo, which are, I think, the orange pickers. And they are the 2014 Caribbean Series champions. So they're hosting the clinic at their ballpark, over 60 girls from age 6 to 20. And then... She guest coached with their team and chose to wear number 42. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And then today, as I speak, she's in Mazatlan, which I want to be in Mazatlan. I re- so that makes me think of the love boat, right? That was one of their, there was Puerto Vallarta, Are you going to sing that? The love boat. Okay. Yeah, that's that's our, our era. So she's with the Venados de Mazatlan game on Tuesday. That is the deer. That just doesn't like seem, I guess Venados sounds tougher than deer. The deer of Mazatlan the is their baseball the team. The ones are pretty tough. Okay. You, don't, you don't want to get close to those. So another guest coaching gig. So go a very, very huge tip of the hat to Justine Siegel and baseball for all. Last women's thing I'm going to talk about is the Women's World Cup, which we have talked about a lot, but their 2020 location was announced today. So I felt like I had to mention it. They're going to, wait for it. You're going to love this one. They're going to Monterrey, Mexico. Love when you say yeah, that. So I think we need to go to Monterrey so that you can hear that word said so all I can the learn time. learn how to say it. Say Monterrey. Monter- yeah. Monter- Wouldn't that be I can't fun? Learn. I can't and, and we totally, come on. Uh, I was going to say viewers. You guys aren't watching us. Listeners. It's send probably us best there. you're not watching us right <laughs> Totally, is way better as I adjust my hat and take my beer. Yeah, um, send us there next November because it's my birthday. So, and all you want for your birthday is to go to where? To I want to go to Monterrey, Monterrey. Mexico. I can't do it. Damn it! With the Women's World Cup 2020. No, with I'm, me to the women. and and okay. Patty okay. and Patty. Absolutely. Right. And you know, speaking of that, being in November, you know, last. Women's World Cup was in Florida, and we talked about the kind of crappy conditions. And it was in August in Florida. That Why? equals crappy to begin with. It is. So now it's in November. That makes so much more sense. And a lot of cool countries are going to be there. The United States will make it along with Canada. We only invite the cool countries. Yeah. It's a click thing. The, well, it, there are some new folks. So Canada and U.S. were there last time. Mexico, the host country, they actually have not played in the Women's World Cup before. Oh, wow. Venezuela's returning. Philippines is new. Australia, Cuba, Netherlands are returning China is new, which I think is super interesting. And Chinese ta- Taipei, which we talked about, we also know as Taiwan, but not in international sports. They're going to be there. Japan, France is making a new showing. And uh, and Canada is kicking off their training in February. We talked about how the U.S. kicked off their training last June. So I think we need to amp up the yeah, game so they, a little bit, like now. training is like a year and a half in advance well, as opposed the, to like two months in advance. The, well, there's that. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So keep keep tuned and send us, please. Time for your stats lesson. I don't want you to think we forgot about that. Every couple of weeks seems to be the right thing. Last time we talked about batting average and RBIs and a little bit about slugging percentage. Today, we're going to take that a step further to find some more useful stats to use when evaluating baseball players. I bet you know what OBP is. On-base percentage. Right. Can you tell me what that means? 
that means the percent that you're on base. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. And another way that's of saying that is the percent of the time that you don't make an out. Okay. So what on base percentage tells you is every time you get to the base, it doesn't matter how you got there. Mm -hmm. You could have hit the ball and gone safely. You could have walked. You could have been hit by a pitch. You could have been like Ellsbury and gone with catcher's interference. Maybe. Maybe. I have to look that one up to see if that's really true. That might be true. It might not be true. All right. Darn it. You threw threw me for a loop. That was a huge curveball. All right. So this is one that, you know, if you read or saw Moneyball – you know, oh, OBP you is life. This is the most important stat because getting to first base is the most important and the hardest thing that a player can do. You're going to make a smart remark about dating, <laughs> aren't you? God dang in it. the back of my mind, I was it thinking, wasn't so far back. I could see it from boy. here. Yeah, it, it wasn't was- so far back. <laughs> when you look at somebody's on-base percentage, there's a correlation between like the team batting average to like runs per game, but it's not as good as core as like when you take the whole team's on base percentage, that's a better indicator of how many runs they're going to score per game than just somebody's batting average, right? Because it includes all the other ways you can. Now, There's I, more stuff. I, I want to say stuff. get on base again, but yeah, you're just going to giggle. <laughs> all right. I'll just drink my beer. Over but it, what, what it doesn't tell you is anything about power. It just says they got that far. God damn it. <laughs> Totally messed up this whole All right. thing. Do you remember slugging? Do you know what slugging is? Yes. Okay. Did you, you want to tell me or should I just not that's, ask you anymore? <laughs> that's powerful hits. That's okay. That, more than a single. That gives you more credit depending on what kind of hit you made. Uh-huh. So you get one point for a single, two for double, three for triple, four for hitting a home run. So when you have a larger slugging percentage, that says how many... It gives you an indication of hitting for power, extra base hits, not just you got there to begin with. So that's an important thing. That tells you about a a batter's power as opposed to just getting to base. So so one would think, and people who do stats think, okay, well, maybe we just combine those things. And then you get OPS. Remember what that stands for? Yeah, on base plus slugging. Right, right. The P is for plus. But it's bad math. It's bad math because it's the, not really plus. Well, no, it is plus, but the denominators are different. You can't really add those two fractions. You, oh, I have I've taught math math before, basic math, and that's the kind of math that right. I teach. Yeah. So what they do mm-hmm. is they just sort of ignore that whole denominator part because remember one of them is over um, plate appearances and one of them is over at bats, and those are different numbers and all that. So all the stat does is add the top, adds the numerators. What's what's your top? What's your number for From different denominators? You don't yeah. find the lowest common denominator? Yeah, no, it's it's I'm it's so bad. confused. So actually, so now, now I'm lying some more. So you just you add the two numbers together. You add your your on base percentage to your slugging percentage, and that gives you your OPS. But that does involve not finding the common denominator and actually making those numbers equivalent okay. in any way. You're Ouch. just adding those top two numbers. But the thing is, it doesn't tell you. You know, a higher number is going to be better. But that it, much I know. I get that part. That's, that's totally all that's that going to tell you because it could be that somebody gets on base all the time because they're they are patient at their at bats and they walk a lot. And somebody else may hit a lot of home runs, and so their slugging percentage is higher, but they make a lot of outs, right? And so your on-base percentage, a bigger number is better, but it doesn't tell you enough about the individual that that, those two numbers separately tell you. But the thing you want to use your OPS for is you want to combine it. You want to find your team's OPS because that's the best number to use. That's the most accurate number to figure out, to, to predict runs per game. If the whole team, if you figure out what that number is, and that 
is an um, it's very close to a, a, a you know a, a perfect correlation to how many runs they're going to score per game, which is pretty cool. Separately, you know, for an individual, it's not that useful. But if you break it apart into on base percentage and um, and slugging, then you get good information in a couple different ways about a batter. I'm going to give you a bonus stat that you hear just once in a while, and I just want you to know what it is. It's called isolated power. That sounds like a superpower. It is kind of a superpower. It basically tells you just the extra base hits. So you take the slugging percentage, which gives you singles, doubles, triples, and harmonies. You subtract the singles. And the way you do that is you just subtract their batting average. Which is kind of what I used to think slugging was. Right. All right. So now now you know. So now Now I like the isolated power. So isolated power just tells you the, you know, the percentage that's, that's, that's extra base hits. Or that would be a great name for a drink. Isolated Isolated power. power. When we say goodnight shortly, we're going to go upstairs and invent that. That's great. Check our show notes for the recipe. Uh, Can we watch some baseball? We can watch some baseball. So I'm really trying to do my homework, but I have so much other homework that I haven't quite gotten it together. But hopefully by the time this episode drops, my goal is to compile all the winter league schedules so that you know where you can watch baseball from, from when to when. That's That's pretty cool. That's the idea. So we have Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico. Their website was fucking down today, which made this whole thing really stressful. But Venezuela is going, which is kind of amazing considering the political situation, but they're doing all right. Mexico, Panama, which I don't know if they even have a website because it's their first season. And I only got the news from the Nicaraguan website and they're playing baseball also. And Australia. And we have MLB players way over down under in Australia. So I will get all this information together. But the most important part is that there's another field trip option, which is the Caribbean series is the culmination of all this, except for Australia. And it happens the first week of February in Puerto Rico. And that would be another really nice NCIB vacation destination. Sure, it would. So how do we become independently wealthy and be able to afford these things? You know, listeners, we would be so amusing. I I think I said this last week on beaches with drinks with little umbrellas. It would be high quality episodes. Send, send yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. That's going to work. That yeah. was effective. I'm mm-hmm. sure that's going to work. You know what I'm doing this week? I got to start doing boyfriend research because oh, next right. week we start picking our boyfriends for the next season. And we start with the bottom of the barrel teams, which I got to admit, I was surprised that my Orioles weren't the one. But the I'm shocked. Detroit, the Orioles were not the bottom of the barrel. Detroit Tigers. Detroit hey, Tigers, to you, Tigers won fewer fans. games than the Orioles. So wow. our our um, picks next week will be from Detroit and Miami. Huh. All right. We got to do some studying. We got to. I totally got to do some studying. If anybody has any recommendations, send them in to us because I am I am open. How can people reach us? You can reach us on Twitter at NCIB Podcast. You can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at No Crying and B-Ball or at our website at NoCryingAndBball.com. We would love your boyfriend recommendations. Um, please tell your friends about the show if you've enjoyed it and you think they might. If you have a chance to rate or review wherever you get our show, please do that as well. And until then. Say goodnight, potty mouth. Goodnight, potty mouth.